0: We are continuing in our series through Acts, and I'm just gonna have this up here just because for me it's helpful when you're just reading through stuff and like sometimes it moves really quickly and it's like then we went here from there to there to there, and next thing you know they're like across the map. So I'm not gonna really reference it, but just as we're reading, if you want to glance up, there it is. Um, like I said, it's helpful for me just to kind of get an idea of like where they're going and, and all that stuff. Before we get into Acts, we can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, just for a quick verse. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is sort of going to be our theme verse for the evening. The title of tonight's sermon is We Are His Workmanship, and so... I just want to have that in your mind, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we can turn now to Acts chapter 21. That's where we're picking up the story. Paul actually is just now leaving the Ephesians. He's just made his sort of final address to the elders of the Ephesians and of that whole area. And so we can just jump right in at verse 1 acts 21 verse 1 now it came to pass that when he had departed from them he set sail running a straight course from Kos the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patera and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia we went aboard and set sail when we had sighted Cyprus we passed it on the left sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there, the ship was to unload their cargo. Tyre was like a major port city and had been for a really long time. Really rich city because so much, uh, there's a massive port and so much trade happened there and so much was coming through there. So it makes sense that that's where the boats can port. Verse 4, "'Finding disciples, we stayed there seven days.'" They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, but just as sort of a recap, a few chapters ago, Paul purposed in the Spirit that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and then after that he's going to go to Rome. And ever since then, every city he goes to, people have been prophesying to him in the Spirit, saying, you're going to see persecution, you're going to be attacked, you're going to get arrested, bad things are going to happen in Jerusalem. And here we see this interesting thing. And like I said, we talked a little bit about it last week, but I want to jump into it a little bit more. And it says, finding the disciples who stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. We dealt with this last week where they are doing this thing because of what the Spirit is, is telling them. It's not like the Spirit tells them, tell Paul this thing. And I had a note from a couple of weeks ago that we didn't really talk about, but the note that I had was, we are God's tools. He is not our tool. And what I mean by that is, do you guys remember the exorcists from a couple chapters ago? The itinerant Jews that were traveling around and they tried to use Jesus' name, who Paul preaches, to cast out the demons? You guys remember that? Yeah. yeah? You guys can turn that. I think it's in chapter 19. But can you guys spot what is different about what they say? Like they, they just, they use different wording. Can you spot the difference there between like a man of God and apostle when they cast out a demon or something? Do you see any, any difference in the language there? Yeah, so they're like trying to control basically like they're trying to control the demon, right? But like I think my version says I exercise you. It's it's just it's like it's just just to control. Like I control you or I cast you out or whatever they're trying to do. Uh, we don't know exactly what they were trying to do, but they're trying to control the demon. As as I was looking at this at first, like, it struck me that they were like, we do this thing, right? And I'm like, "Well, oh, maybe that's what the difference is. But then I look back and Paul, you know, when he casts out demons, he says, I do this. Like, in the, like, I cast you demon out in the name of Jesus. And that's where the difference is. There's a little word that these exorcist guys use, the word by, when they do it. When they say, we adjure you by... Jesus who Paul preaches. Uh, a true believer, a true apostle, or a miracle worker, or a prophet, they don't, they don't use that kind of language. It's, I do this in the name of Jesus, or thus saith the Lord. The, the power is coming from God, and when we as ambassadors for Christ say something, it's just as that, just like an ambassador. An ambassador is somebody who speaks for and acts for somebody else. Like if I'm an ambassador for the United States, if I go to represent my country, I'm speaking for the United States. And that's what we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. So we speak by the power of God. False teachers will try and glorify their name and use God as their tool. We're going to, by Jesus, who they didn't believe in, by Jesus, we're going to use Jesus as this tool to get what we want. And that's just not how it works. It's interesting, too, because they say, whom Paul preaches, and they don't say who I preach. <laughs> right. It's like, they don't even preach Jesus, and they're trying to use, like, the power or whatever. Exactly. And that, exactly, they're trying to use the power. It's like, they're, they're treating God or the name of Jesus as a tool, when... A true believer knows that we're the tool. We are being used by God. Again, the series that we're in is called The Works of God Through His People. He chooses to use us to do His will, which is an amazing thing. And there's two words that are important to this discussion that are translated to the English word by in the New Testament. One, it implies that a thing is coming from or is under something. This word is hoopa. Uh, the other, it implies that something is coming through something. It, it implies it, that something's c- coming through, okay? And that one is dia. So if you guys feel so inclined, I, I want you to remember this for a little bit later. Say hoopa. Hoopa. Okay. Hoopa means coming from something or under. Okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll stick with from or by, right? And this dia, say dia. Yeah. Okay. That one means to go through, or because of, or for this reason. That's how it's translated in other places in the Bible. Because of this thing, or or for this reason, this or that happened. Now, both of these words are used a bunch of times in the Bible in the same verse. And most of those verses that use both of those words at the same time says something like, the words that were spoken by God through the prophet, whatever. Jonah, Isaiah, Ezekiel... But that, that type of verse, it's always using the same words. So that statement that I just said, those, the words spoken by God through his prophet, who's controlling who in that statement? God is controlling the prophet. Yes, God is controlling the prophet. The prophet is the tool, right? So by the power of God is, it's coming from him, right? The the words spoken by God through his prophet. Those are the two major words and differences here. Sorry, the first one would be the dia, and the second one would be the hupah? Exactly. Exactly. So, by God, through, dia, his prophet. So, again, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, prepared beforehand by God that we should walk in those things. God has set something up for us to do. God has set many things up in our path for us to do. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, what I'm encouraging you guys to do is do those things. God has set things up for you in your path for you to do them. Do them. And, and, And ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to do those things when you come up to those things. When you, when you come up to the things that God has prepared you to do, say, like, God, like, help me to recognize the thing. Cause sometimes we miss it and then we're like, oh shoot, I, I messed up. That thing that God prepared for me to do, I didn't do it. And we're not supposed to beat ourselves up in those situations, but just do it next time. Be better and ask God to reveal those, those things that He can empower you to, to, to do the thing that He wants you to do. And all of this to say is that in verse 4 of 21, we stayed seven days. They told Paul through the Holy Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. What word do you think that that word is? Uh, yeah. Yes. So, it's because of, or for this reason, it's, it's through what the Holy Spirit has said. This message... To not go to Jerusalem it's not from the Holy Spirit, but it's because of the revelation. The, the constant thing has been, you're going to see persecution. Bad things are going to happen. So because of that, they say, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do or say things because the Holy Spirit tells us things. He's going to reveal things to us in our lives, and we're going to react to those things, right? When, when God reveals something to us or tells something to us through somebody else, we're going to react to those things. But we need to be very careful how we interpret what God tells us. Sometimes God will give us something and we'll jump to a conclusion. Oh, well, he said this, therefore this. And it's like, well, that other thing, you're adding something. God didn't say that part. So if God gives you a message for somebody, deliver it exactly how he gave it. Don't give your, like, commentary or what you think it means. Well, God told me to tell you this, which I think means this or that. Just give the message that God gave you to give, and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Sometimes we can add certain things, and then the person's like, oh, well. And they take your words, not knowing where where the difference is. If God told you to say something, say that thing and be done. Don't give your own spin on it. Don't give your thoughts on it. Just give the message God gave you and and move on. If God gives you a word or a dream or a prophecy that you don't understand, you probably will eventually. And you might not. You might not ever know what it means. Because God gave me a dream one time. I think I have told you this before, but... I had this super crazy dream. I knew it was from God, but I had no idea what it meant. So I went to Pastor Dave, because Dave has a history of interpreting dreams. I told him my dream, and he just kind of looked at me wide-eyed and was like, wow. And then he called Lynn in the room and was like, Lynn, you got to hear this. And he's like, tell her what you just told me. So I told her my dream, and she like lo- gave me the same look and was like, wow. And I was like, I'm literally the only, only person in the room that does not know what my dream means. Can somebody like enlighten me a little bit? And they were like, no, we can't tell you what it means. It's, it's about a very specific thing happening within our church and we can't say anything, but you have, you have told us what God wants us to know. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like, My job's done, right? I said what God gave me to get. I didn't know it was for them, but because I'm being submissive to my pastor and I bring in this thing, it was the message that God had. I don't need to know what it means. I just need them to know it. God needs them to know it, right? But there's other things where God has given me a dream or one time he gave me a specific word, like just one word. And I was like, I... Never heard that word. I don't know what that word means. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it all of a sudden made me start thinking about a lot of different spiritual things. Uh, the word was pedantic. Just woke up with the word in my head. Pedantic. So I look it up, and it means to be, like, basically overly critical. Like, it has to be perfectly to the letter, and you, like, scold people when it's not perfect. And it just made me think about myself and people in my life and, and, and how we shouldn't be pedantic about a lot of things. And it was a really good thing that God was just sort of helping me along my way, right? And what I'm saying to you is sometimes you don't know the meaning, and then it comes later. Sometimes you, you won't know the meaning. God's just trying to give you something for somebody else. But what you shouldn't do is add to what God is trying to say. Put your own commentary or put your own words into what God is trying to say. Now, as we've talked about last week, these people aren't doing anything bad. They're not, they're not sinning. Uh, they're, what they're doing by warning him not to go to Jerusalem is out of love for Paul. They feel very strongly about Paul and they hear this thing that bad stuff's gonna happen to Paul, so they're like, don't don't go. Like just don't go. And they're not trying to twist God's word or add to it at all. But what I'm saying to you is just we need to be careful how we use the revelation that, that the Holy Spirit gives to us. We can continue with our story in verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. The whole group is just going along to, to walk with Paul one last time. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Potomia, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. Now, if you remember, he's kind of on a crunch. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem for a specific time by the day of uh, Pentecost. And he's sort of trying to rush back to Jerusalem. So we are getting real close to that day. Verse 8, on the next day, We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. You guys know who this Philip is? One of the seven what? One of the seven... (laughs) Dwarfs? Yes, the seven dwarves. (laughs) One of the seven close. Deacons. Oh. If you remember, they were... (laughs) <laughs> they were. there was this thing where things weren't being given to the people properly so they set up these deacons Stephen was one of them dispersed the goods properly oh, yeah. Philip was one of those seven deacons this is our good friend who ministered to and baptized the Ethiopian man who God allowed to travel by apparition he was sort of Poofed away after he baptized the Ethiopian. This is our friend Philip. He's back. I remember when we talked about that, we were talking about, like, how does Luke know this? Because he hasn't joined the party yet. He, he hasn't become a Christian yet. He doesn't. He he's not even on the scene. So how does Luke know this story? This is probably how. He is now meeting Philip and having this conversation and talking all about it. So this is where we find ourselves in Philip's house. A lot has changed since we last saw him. Verse 9, it says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem find the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The same prophecy again, and this is a very specific prophecy. And again we need to be careful when we say, Thus saith the Lord, or Thus saith you know the Holy Spirit, or God told me to do this, or God told me told me to do that, because if God didn't actually say that, or maybe you think God told you to do that, but then he didn't, we can kind of make God seem like a liar, because we're like, God told me to do this, and then that thing doesn't work out. It's like, well, why God tell you that to do that? And then he told you to do this opposite thing, like, two days later. Yeah. Like, we need to be careful how we use that language. But Agabus here, he uses it properly. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit tells him to say. This is straight from the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now, when we heard these things, Both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. This is more of the same. The Spirit says the truth, and because of that truth, they warn him not to go. They are saying, here's the revelation. We say don't go. You know, that's not what the Holy Spirit says, but that's what we are begging you not to go. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I love Paul here because he doesn't disregard their feelings, even though he knows they're wrong. <laughs> he doesn't just say, get over it, I'm going, shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> he, he empathizes with them and he says, you're you're breaking my heart by begging me this thing. And, and, and you know, you, you can tell that he actually cares about them. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart for... I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Can we say the same thing? If we knew for a fact we were going to go and do this thing for God and get arrested. That's a a hard thing, and especially Paul's already been through it. He's getting a little bit older, a little, you know, gray. He's already been beaten, literally left dead at one point. And it just keeps coming. And it's like, this time I might not recover. He knows. And this is a a big statement that he's like, I am ready to not only be bound, but die for Jesus. Keep your finger here. Let's turn to (coughs) Philippians 3. Philippians 3 7 through 9. But what things were gained to me, okay, he's just said everything that he has accomplished in his life, all of his education, all of the clout that he has in the world, and this is his conclusion. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss, okay, not only the good things, not only the good things in my past, but he's saying, all things I, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God. By faith. The Bible says that when we have faith in Jesus, we receive the righteousness of Christ. That all of the goodness that Jesus is, He transfers that to us, and God sees us through that lens. And Paul is saying, That is worth everything to me. Everything else I have, everything else anybody thinks of me, everything else in this world is garbage, because all that matters is Jesus and his calling on my life and living for him. Paul is willing to go the distance even to death in order to be used by God. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand by God for us to walk in those things. Verse 14, back in Acts now. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. "...and brought with them a certain manason of Cyprus, an early disciple, with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry." Again, we see this sort of theme that God is doing the work, right? He tells them all the things which God had done through his ministry. He knows that he is a tool by God, being used by God to do the work of God. And again, I want to lay emphasis here on missionary reporting. A lot of times, missionaries, they don't want to like say what they've done or report the amazing things that God has done in and through them because they have a fear of boasting. They they don't want to seem like, "Oh, I did this and I did this and I did this." Now, it's good to be aware of that and not let yourself get puffed up, but you need to remember that it's not you who's doing it. And if you start to have that feeling of like, "Oh, I am I am pretty good." Like, <laughs> I've, done thi- I've done great things. I I've done great things. <laughs> like, okay, Pump the brakes. Like, realize you can do nothing without God empowering you to do, like, any work that you do for God. It's his work. And he's doing it through you. And you need to remember that. You're just a tool. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Is that the message today? That you're a tool. (laughs) (laughs) You're a tool in the hand of God if you have a hammer and the head keeps wiggling and sliding off or the the face of the thing is bent, so every time you hit the nail, it bends the nail or slips off, you say, this is not working for me. You throw that hammer away and you get a new one. My point is, God does not need us. He doesn't need us. He could do anything by himself. He chooses to use us as his tool. And we're his workmanship. He's created us for good works. He's made us into the tool, and now he wants to, to use us as that tool which he has made. Okay? Whereas workmanship, created for good works. Verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified God. the Lord. Not Paul. It's it's okay to, to say the things that have you've done in the mission field, because you're glorifying God. And again, if you have that feeling, oh, I'm glorifying myself, then then don't glorify yourself. Give all the glory to God and make sure that people know that that's why you're doing these things and you're doing these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. They glorified the Lord and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then the assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them And be purified with them, and pay their expenses, so that they may shave their heads, and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Now, just upon reading that quickly, it's a little weird. But we actually recently saw the same thing from Paul, that he had taken a vow and he shaved his head. This is the vow of the Nazarite. You can read about it more in Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Numbers. if you guys are fans of Numbers, it's in there. Uh, but this is the vow of the Nazarite, and you say, for this long I'm going to do this specific thing. It starts with shaving the head, you live as a Nazarite for a time, and it ends with shaving the heads, showing that you have completed that vow. So there's sort of a lot in what we just read. So I'm going to kind of jump through here because some people get a little bit twisted up that they're making Paul, that Paul did this vow earlier, just a couple chapters ago, and now they're telling him to do it again. They're like, why is Paul doing this ritual, this like sort of old covenant thing? And they get all weird and twisted up about it. But we are free in Christ and we know that Jesus fulfilled the law, and we can't be saved by the law, okay? However, that doesn't make the law evil, and that's what a lot of people say, why is Paul doing this? Like, the law is, you know, Jesus fulfilled it, and he doesn't have to do this. The law is not evil. Seeking to be justified by the law, or be justified by your own works, like, oh, I'm a good person, like, that's never going to work. And that can be evil. If you're like, I'm doing this because I'm a good person. Or maybe people who don't believe, you're like, man, they're they're such a good person. Well, if they spit in the face of Jesus and say, I don't believe that, well, you're, you're rejecting your maker at that point. So it doesn't matter how many meals you buy for the poor or how many people you open a door for, that's not going to get you into heaven. If you reject God, that's how that works. Doing the law is not going to save you. This ritual, though, Paul is doing it to reach the Jews, and that is a very loving thing. He's not doing it to be saved by the thing. He he is very secure. He knows that he can't be saved by the law. He understands that very fully. We just read in Philippians, it was very clear, like, that's not how it is. He writes elsewhere that to the Galatians, he says, you know, who, who's bewitched you? You're going back to the law of death. Okay? He's saying you can't be justified by these things. He's very aware of that, but he's not doing this ritual to be saved, but he's doing it to love them, to reach more Jews. Paul understood his freedom, but he was not in bondage to it. He was not in bondage to his freedom. He didn't say, well, I don't have to do this. <clears throat> like, I'm free. <laughs> I don't have to do it, and then throw it back in their face. That would make him in bondage to what his so-called freedom. He's willing to go above and beyond in order to show the people around him the love of God, how much God loves them. And finally, the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do, that you might walk in those things, it includes being submissive to your leaders. They say, Do what we tell you. (laughs) Uh, I can give you a pile of references that, that this is what the Bible teaches and this is what the Bible says, that being submissive to your leaders is one of the good works which God has set up for you to do. This is not always easy, but it is required. We are to submit to those who God puts above us, our pastors, our parents, the cops, the governors, the president. Sometimes it's tough. It's not always easy, but we are required to be submissive to the leaders who God has put above us. If you can't submit to the leader that God has put above you, then you're proving that you're not submitted to God. God has put those leaders, he's placed them above you. And if you can't submit to them, then you're not submitting to God. We are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We belong to God. We are His. Without any choice of our own, God created us. Okay? He made us into a tool. <laughs> We're under His rule. But God didn't leave it there, He did give us a choice. To have faith in Jesus or not. So by choice, we're not only His creation, but we're His adopted children. We're His own special people, as First Peter says. We're co-heirs to His kingdom. We're not just under His rule, but we're co-heirs to His kingdom, with Christ. That's what Romans 8 says. When we have faith in Jesus, we become co-heirs to His kingdom. When we walk in the good works that he's prepared us to do, by faith in Jesus and by the grace of God, we're becoming more like the workmanship that he intends us to be. We're becoming more like what he sees us being. We are our truest version of ourselves when we're walking in faith and obedience to God. So, have you taken that first step of faith? Have you taken that second step of obedience Are you continuing to take those steps in faith and obedience? I don't know what that means for you. I don't know where God has you now, but I know that he's got good works for you to do and that you can walk in those good works by having faith in Jesus and asking the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and help you in your everyday life. We're going to stop there tonight and we'll continue through his journey Next week, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place for our sins. And not only that, but doing that so that we can have a relationship with you and and do your will. God, I thank you for using us. I pray that you will show us how we can be used more by you. And... Yeah, I just thank you for letting us be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Uh, We love you and we praise you, and I pray that you bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.